Welcome to another episode of Tools, Talents, and Techniques. I'm your host, Dustin Sutton, and today we have the privilege of sitting down with a distinguished figure whose career continues to make an indelible mark on the landscape of commercial real estate and economic development. Our guest today is Mr. Murphy Cheatham. He currently he's the DEI program manager for CBRE, the world's largest commercial real estate services and investment firm. And Murphy mentors a diverse cohort of over 75 producers across the United States guiding them towards becoming established producers in the commercial real estate industry. Additionally, he initiates and manages relationships with managing directors, operators, managers, and lead brokers in CBRE's top 40 U.S. markets and all across Latin America. And his career, he he was was the chief of city of uh, Shreveport, Louisiana. He's also the chief... Excuse me. And um, it also like he was the youngest person ever to hold the position of the chief of housing and business development there. Uh, he's also led affordable housing redevelopment projects. He's just done a ton of things in his career that we'll go into. Um, Murphy's also a proud alumnus of Grambling State University and also has his master's of real estate development from Arizona State University. And he's doing some some amazing things with getting those two organizations, those universities together and how they're developing their commercial real estate departments. So I'm very pleased to have today's show, Mr. Murphy Cheatham. So welcome to the show, Murphy. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Yeah. How was that intro? What was that intro? Good intro, man. (laughs) You need to have you tour like the next Kings of Comedy and bring people out on stage. Yeah. All right. Well, maybe we'll see. We'll see if they come knocking. Yeah, well, yeah, well yeah. listen, I really would like to start with um, with you. I, I tried to give a, a good intro, but could you just introduce yourself and a little bit more about what you do? Yeah, man. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Appreciate the opportunity. Um, it's I'm not going to say it's weird, but you and I have just had so many great conversations. I guess it's interesting now that these are being recorded, right? So um, from San Francisco Bay Area, born in Oakland, raised in Fremont, um, a child of two, Grambling State University alum. Uh, went there undergrad, uh, lived in from there, went to Phoenix, lived in Phoenix for six years. That's where I was introduced to, to the real estate industry, then the commercial real estate industry subsequent to that. Uh, got a master's in real estate development, moved to Texas. From Texas, moved to Shreveport, then back to Texas, and a whole bunch of stuff in between then. But but I know, yes, I don't want to take up all the time, but I've just learned a lot. Um, uh, unfortunately, a lot of mistakes that I've made, Right for myself, and then kind of um, not necessarily in a proud way, but being the first person that that I know to try to get things done, and then finding out that these are multi-billion-dollar industries, that the stuff has been done is just not stuff that people just talk or know about. Um, and so I appreciate you and this platform, what you've done, not only here but in BCRN and and some other things to 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 make sure that we put forth this concerted effort and not and then not be ad hoc, so to speak. So. Yeah, man. Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah. So let's let's go back. I want to start. And so I want to get to know more about like, your origin story and let the people know about the path. So when you were growing up, because you said you hadn't been introduced to the real estate industry when you were in middle school, high school, did you have any idea of what you wanted to, to do when you grew up? Were you involved in sports or other local activities? Yeah, man. You know, like I guess like a lot of kids, like I uh, I thought I'd be uh, playing in the NBA, right? Like eighth grade, you couldn't tell me nothing. It's funny. I don't know if you've gone over your 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 Kobe story with your audience, but I think we should talk about that sometime in the future. But um, it was funny. 
I grew six inches in one summer. So between eighth and ninth grade, I'm from five nine to six three. But I tell people, like people are like, oh, you were six three. Like, yeah, I didn't have coordination till two years after that. So for two years trying to play basketball or soccer growing up, I look like a I look like a baby horse, right? Like like no no coordination, no anything, right? Um, but but getting back to this industry, my first thought of this industry before I could name it, I know we were going to a Golden State Warriors game when they played in in, in at Oracle in, in Oakland at, at the Coliseum. And getting off the freeway 880 and asking my dad, like, who decides where we live, where the stadium is, where we go get our haircut when I had hair, right? Like when, when we go get our haircut in that in that, that that white and black office building that's across the freeway on 880, who decides where all that is, right? And I'm asking this question in junior high school. My dad's trying to find parking. Like, I don't know, some rich people. Why are you asking me this stuff? Like, you know? So that was my earliest memory of just being um curious about real estate and you know this is before i knew that there are all types of different divisions within commercial real estate whether it's planning or finance or construction or for design or brokerage or development that's when i first was was interested so when you went to college did you know what you wanted to do like an undergrad did that curiosity carry right over into college or was that something that came even after that not necessarily in real estate, but I knew I wanted to be in finance. I knew I wanted to be in something with money, right? So I taken some accounting some accounting courses in high school. I uh, got to Grambling. I I wanted to go after a finance degree, but the dean or the professor of finance took a two-year sabbatical to China. So I chose the next best thing, which was accounting, right? So I got an accounting degree from Grambling, and that's what just opened my eyes to international international business. Um, knowing how things are standardized and and really just learning the language of, of finance and accounting and, and dollars and cents, naturally drawn to numbers. Um, uh, so with with that, it's it was a it was a good fit. And so did you did you know that you had, were good with numbers and finance even before that? Because I know you mentioned that you know going into college you you leaned towards that. Was that one of your strengths earlier on? Oh yeah, absolutely. I remember helping my mom study for her uh, for for her teacher for an advanced teacher certificate, right? And I remember being in like elementary school slash junior high, um, and and helping my mom study study that and just knowing it. And I think that was the first time to the entire family that you know I was like great with numbers. My my dad was a numbers guy when I he was an executive for State Farm. Um, my mom grew to be a principal with or, or continued on to be a principal in, in the California school district. So uh, my parents were accomplished in their own rights. But I remember just that, helping my mom study for a standardized teacher certification test um, early on. And she looked at me like, wait a minute, you get all this? And I'm like, yeah. You know, so I knew that was a gift early on. And so when you're in college and you're taking these courses and you're accounting and you're doing these things, did you start to see the path? unfold in front of you was that even something that was like oh i can go into this with this like was was that even in your mind not none whatsoever man i was um to be honest with you i was just so focused on being a good accountant because i had such laser focus like this is the only thing i could be i can only be an accountant right and much respect to a lot of accountants that was not like my path i did not know anything about sales commercial real estate or anything until after college. So I got to Arizona, 
Uh, I was recruited there by a multinational corporation, laid off. Um, I'd, I'd already bought my first house by then, what happened, so I needed another job. And I got a job with Enterprise Rent-A-Car. And that's when I even knew that sales was a profession, right, just to have a job. And I later got, got back on the account with KB Home, but I was introduced to real estate and real estate development. But I was introduced to sales before I was introduced to real estate. But I, I, I used numbers and all of that, right? So so when that, it was, it was, it, it was huge. It was definitely a, a great thing. So right after college, that's when you went to Arizona. And did you, when did, when did you go to Louisiana? So I went to Louisiana for undergrad, right? For, for college. And so, then so was I was, that when, was, that I was when you, all over. Go was ahead. that when you were working for the, the city? No, no, no. That, that was well after. So, oh, okay. Yeah. So I kind of crisscrossed back and forth. Um, so from, from the Bay, I went to Grambling. From Grambling, I got job offers in Illinois and Dallas with State Farm because I interned with them. I had a job offer with the CIA in Washington, D.C., a few job offers for some places I attempt for, like Men's Warehouse, but having their accounting department in the Bay, and then another job offer in Phoenix. So Phoenix was close enough but far enough for my family uh, without paying without paying <laughs> California cost of living, right? So I could have my freedom and and kind of get started as a, as, a, as a young single man, right? Um, so, so that was that. And... My parents sold the house in the Bay in, in the highest at real estate at that time had ever been valued, which was May of 05. They sold the house in May of 05, moved back to Louisiana. They moved to Shreveport, Louisiana. Um, so in 07, when I graduated out of my master's program, I had a few job offers in California and Phoenix and Dallas. Um, I moved again to Dallas, again, close enough but far enough. And that was, that was economically viable. So that's how I got to Dallas in June. Um, in... In the spring of 2010, I was contacted about an opening with the city of Shreveport, just through some personal connections and what have you. And and from then, I went and interviewed for the job for the city of Shreveport. So that's 2010. So that's that's you know nine years after I graduated from Grambling in 2001. Okay. And that's how I got back to Shreveport. My parents were there, um, so that that was good. There, it was a wonderful opportunity, and that was that was two years, and I moved back to Dallas. So a couple of things I want to see how if if at all these relate to each other. But one, you sure. mentioned being in sales at, at enterprise. Was there sure. anything that you took from that experience of being introduced to the, the sales process and what that means? Oh my goodness, yeah, yeah. It was it was. I mean, but for you know what I was making, and there really wasn't any commission that enterprise. Right, it was great numbers, but not much commission. Um, but for what I was making, that was the best. I didn't know sales was was an industry. I didn't know sales was a profession. I mean, now it's like, yeah, no, duh. Every industry needs sales to be profitable, right? Um, but I had no idea whatsoever that there was actually sales. If so, it was like a car salesman, right? So it wasn't, and nothing against car salesmen by any means. They're some very successful. Um, but I didn't realize that there was a sales um, profession and that was a skill and and not just you know somebody being charismatic right and 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 going through that and talking about you know fact finding your client and identifying what what you're offering as value to the client and and so on and so forth so i didn't even realize that and then once i did that and i had that sales experience at enterprise but now i'm back doing accounting at kb home and i do accounting for another smaller international home builder i still have that sales itch so i just found myself around the sales just to have that itch and not knowing how to get in there or what have you. 
it's funny, most of my friends now who I keep in contact with are, I mean, they're in sales in some form or another. So that was, an, again, an introduction to me and um, well after I graduated undergrad. And then, and then as you know, my career progressed, finding out about it. I mean, it's pretty, pretty much sales and everything. Yeah, no, no, I agree with that. And so when you're when you're working for the city in Louisiana, so tell me about that situation and and the things that you took away from that. Yeah, yeah, no, no, it it, it was a situation. It was it was definitely <laughs> that. Uh, um, I, listen, it was it was my first government experience, right? Um, and essentially, every and and I could not the the lessons I learned there were invaluable. From my boss then, who's still a mentor of mine, I kind of look at her as my aunt, uh, and Bonnie Moore, who's still the director of community development there at the Cedar Street Court. And she's done amazing things for people's lives, directly and indirectly, some things people may not ever know. So I definitely have to say that. Um, if you look at a community development department, every city that's over 50,000, uh, population of 50,000 people, you get a direct allocation from HUD to build affordable housing and to fund small businesses and remove blight from your city, right? So, I mean, I haven't looked at allocations in the past few years, but at one point in time, like the city of Dallas was getting $30 million a year from it. So I saw that with my training, again, from accounting, from sales, and then my master's by then of, of real estate development. I saw that as, wait a minute. So you mean to tell me we're a real estate development company? That gets a considerable amount of money invested in into us every year. We don't have to pay it back. We don't have to provide a return. We just have to do what we say we're going to do. And then we even get more money on that. And there are loan products that cities can apply for, for larger, big, big development deals. But people get allocations every year. And then you have five years. You have three years to say what you're going to do with the money. And then another two years on top of that to actually spend the money. So you have a total of five years to invest the money from the day you get it. That's not heard of anywhere, right? So I'm super excited because I'm considering myself now, yeah, I have this government title and what have you, but I'm considering us own real estate development company, right? So now I'm like, okay, how can we do business the right way? How can we provide affordable housing? How can we do small business loans? Um, I revitalized a small business loan program there. I, I um, righted, righted the ship on a few affordable housing deals, and then we were able to bring in some for-profit partners to then further leverage the funds that, that we brought in. And some partners I still keep in contact with uh, uh, today, some great, some great professionals there. So, yeah, it was, it was a learning experience, but I was literally the mesh point between private industry and public industry, which, a, which was good. Well, that, that's a that's a great point. I wanna I wanna dig deeper in this because you've had experiences. You know, you've you've been at some some great universities and, and worked now in your experience and you're working with them on on the actual curriculum side. You've yep. worked in the private sector. You work in the private sector. You worked in the public sector, and I'm curious to hear from your perspective the not only the lessons that you've learned. But what are some of the big differences that you've seen? And I don't want to limit your uh, answer to this, but, you know, there's things that are that are really good about having right. a bunch of guardrails and there's things that, you know, oh, this could be eased up. But I want to hear about your experience and the things that you took away. No, that's great. I think I was able to, from a very high level at a technical point, be able to identify uh, the motivation of your various partners. Right. So public and private partnerships and I have a public and private partners on a deal. 
it's assumed from the outside looking in, and we know what they say about assuming, it's assumed from the outside looking in that everybody has the same motivation. Um, and that could not be further from the truth, right? So from a financial partner, their motivation is the return of their investment and then their return on their investment, right? I mean, everything sounds good, you know, the warm fuzzies and the public notices and the public comments and, you know, everybody has the, the, the construction hats with the golden shovels, you know, taking take, taking the, the taking a project picture of, you know, breaking ground and, and then cutting cutting the ribbon and all that type of good, all that type of stuff, right? Um, but not everybody in the picture has the same motivation. Uh, government could be compliance and then providing housing units for their uh, for the constituents. And really, the long term goal for government is to increase its tax base, right? So government is also looking at it as an investment because they're investing dollars to get to hopefully get property taxes back to then further run the city. So, so they're looking at a return, but their return is different, right? And then you have compliance people, you have so on and so forth. So the first lesson I learned is being able to, in an Excel spreadsheet, write down each one of your partners and then take the time to write out their motivation, getting to know them to find out what their motivation is. Um, who are the people? Well, what are the people demanding who are their bosses, right? Because everybody has a boss, whether you're an entrepreneur or not. Right. So so what do you need to return these funds back in three to five years? Uh, you know, does does the mayor have a commitment before they run for reelection next year? Right. Like it's it's when things get political, everybody has an opinion. Some opinions may not be qualified, but they have a say so. Right. So now it's your job to then educate the people who have a say so in your success that may not even know what they're talking about. Right. And obviously, I'm not talking about anybody in particular, but, you know, they, these are the types of things that people have to know. And then to, to your question, it's a longer timeline. You have a lot more approvals and there's approvals have seasons. Right. Yeah, um, with city council go on a recess for, for two or three months. And if you have a project where you need to break ground in two months, the city council is about to go on recess for three months. That means you need to get things on the city council agenda tonight. Right. So there's a lot more things, a lot more timelines, the more partners you have, the more timelines, the more consideration. And so I tell people the nonprofit industry is twice as hard as a for-profit industry. Uh, for-profit, we, we know what the goal is. You provide a value, you provide a service for a value, right? Um, and that value needs to be profitable than what it costs to bring it. Um, nonprofit, you gotta take your time and you have, you have to provide the similar profit and have another reason for doing what you do. But you can't do what you do without money, right? So so it's a balancing act for nonprofits. So a lot of people who want to go into uh, nonprofit work, affordable housing or economic development, I give them that, that, that kind of side eye and ask them, do they know what they're getting themselves into? Because it's twice as hard as running a nonprofit than it is a for-profit. And so when you're when you talk about like understanding the different motivations and different people at different timelines, all those things now in your role with and I know we're skipping around with some things here. No, no, but no. Now, this is awesome. It's good. Yeah, good. So uh, so now in your role, how often do you actually stop and, and, and think about, you know, what what your experience has brought you to this point? Did you actively draw upon your experience experiences to make decisions now or is it more something that 
it's just how you operate or are there certain things that you go, oh, I remember from my sales experience that I'm going to do things like this. Or, you know what, I, I remember working for the city that this is something that we do. Is that, is that an active thought that you have? Yes, and great question. Um, when I have a knee-jerk response to, eating, to, to automatically or immediately uh, go back on my experience, I then tangibly and technically verify the situation I think I'm in and then go back on lessons learned, not only from me, but thank God, you know, CBRE is a huge, huge company. I have over 100,000 employees globally. So um, go back to tried and true methods and that it's been done before, it's been attacked before, right? So um, uh, nothing that we want to do has been, has not been done before. We just may not know about it. Right. And so it's going back. It's going back to that. Um, so for me, I just want I, I immediately, as we all do, go back to past experiences. But then I also like objectively take a step back, frame the situation and then see how I can objectively solve the situation. You do a lot of work with. I want to say uh, less experienced or younger. I hate to put the, you know the age on it, but people that are that are just getting their foot into the commercial real estate industry. What are some of the foundational aspects that you like to talk about with the the, the cohort that you work with? Yeah, I mean, it, I appreciate that. It is it is interesting because I. Um, I first, again, going back to not immediately going going to my own experiences, I first take time to understand whoever I'm talking to, what experiences they've had, what training they've had, and what expectations they, 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 they have of trying to get into the industry or, or trying to progress through the industry before I just immediately start a conversation somewhere. So um, going back to, you know, early sales training continued to be able to offer someone value, which I believe in doing no matter who I speak with, I, I first need to understand what you determine is valuable and where you're trying to go, right? Mm -hmm. So a lot of the early talent, I, I want to make sure that I understand what their goals are, right? I guess everybody wants to be a multimillionaire and be a billionaire, right? And, and, and I want that for everybody who's willing to work for it. Um, and I tell them first off, hey, you're not going to be driving your G-Wagon to your Gulfstream private plane on, on their own tarmac in the first year. Like, you know, so, so, so I, 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 I want to kind of set expectations and say this is technical. And the things that we see in the newspaper or on LinkedIn or on the news or in whatever website we follow or on Instagram, what have you, these big splash deals, right? These big mixed-use developments, or, you know, someone executing a 10-year lease for 50,000 square feet in downtown or record the highest rents it's ever been, so on and so forth. That's usually like 10 years in the making, right? So how are you going to make money in between that, right? How are you going to – deals could go all types of different ways, right? So you need to have a long-term idea of success. And, and I only coach the brokers in my cohort. I only coach them towards long-term sustainability. It's good to have a pop and then, but if you don't have another big transaction for a year or two, you're right back at ground zero, right? So I coach a lot of young 
young brokers or people starting off in this industry towards establishing a foundation for long-term sustainability. Now, that takes too long for you. You know, rule of thumb is it takes two years to be sustainable in this business. Five years, you know, to, to, to be a leader in this business, probably another five years on top of that to make the money everybody thinks that you're making, right? So um, if that's too long for you, I don't know how to shorten that timeline up. And if what I'm saying isn't, isn't applicable, I'm okay with that, right? But from what I've seen and the true successful people I know, not the ones, you know, having their own channels about it and own like, you know, secrets of being successful. There's no secret. It's an equation. It takes time and it's consistency. Yeah, that's a great point. Is there there a certain thing um, or certain backgrounds that people have that you see that you're seeing that are the most ready to receive that type of information? Like, is there any college degrees or a, a certain aspect, a personality type that seems to do best with, with, this lesson being learned? You know what? That's funny. Um, sorry if, if you hear the background noise. I guess I should close my window. But um, um, I good. would say- Hey, this is organic. This is good. It's bad. Yeah, it's yeah, more, it's uh, good. It's good. It's adds good. to the experience. Yeah, Texas weather. I got to enjoy it while we get it. Um, it's, I would say that it is um, not necessarily a degree. I mean, finance always helps, right? Engineering helps. That, that gives you a pretty good background. I posted something on my Instagram stories a few days ago, like success doesn't come from the college you went to. Success doesn't come from your degree. It comes from your hard work. It comes from you, right? Um, so you could go to the most prestigious school whatsoever, but unless you leverage that network and unless you're consistent, it's not going to happen. Right? So to answer your question, I think that um, consistency, the high IQ matters, but even what, what has mattered even more so is having being self-aware and having a, having a high EQ, having a high emotional quotient. How do you respond when things don't go your way, right? How, how, do you, how do you manage relationships intentionally and consistently with decision makers? Um, how do you consistently offer value regardless, right? How, 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 how aware are you of the different situations? That is what I've seen be consistent um, in the people who are successful, Versus the ones that, you know, talk a great game or, as I call the ones who are like apex predators, like like salespeople that's going to like make going to force someone into a deal and, and be a closer, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross and all that type of stuff. That's good. Right. But 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 all of that is 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 nice and really works. But your level of consistency, your level of self-mastery and then your level of mastering relationships to consistently provide value to those people. Um, I think that is what I've seen the difference between the people who are up, let's say up here, uh, people who are at the top of their profession versus people who are consistently like up and down or barely making it or what happened, right? Like effort is it, but it's consistency and self-mastery is what I've really seen, which might sound real cliche or, or abstract to people, but that is definitely well, you know what? The reason it's cliche or it may sound cliche because it's true, <laughs> you know, consistency right. and self-mastery, because if you can practice those things and consistently practice self-mastery, you're going to be in a better place than you were yesterday. And that's that's the truth. Absolutely. Absolutely. I would say something else, and, and I'm coaching a few of my young brokers in this now, is do not discredit or discount any progress. Right. Mm -hmm. Like what I mean by that is if you got a 3000 square foot deal in a class C part of town 
and it may not be big to like your local business journal or somebody else that that's that's humble bragging online what have you that is your own deal that you closed right there, there there's work that went into that learn those lessons from that right don't discount it because it's not the biggest thing ever and you're not being celebrated at some award show like like you know so definitely definitely do not discount your progress especially in this market where business credit and real estate credit is so tight if you're able to get things done just be consistent in that and appreciate it oh and, and celebrate your wins you know Man, like yes, yes. i mean you, you have you have to and um and also another thing that i, I took from one of my previous experiences where uh at a company i used to work is that even though we were working on a deal that even though it may have been small for what we were doing, but for the person that brought that deal to us, it was a, it was a big deal to them and their family. I mean, it was, yes. a, it was a small office center and you know, the numbers weren't that big on, on our sheet, but to them, this was like the foundation for their family to, you know, grow and, and, and acquire wealth. And it's like, well, okay. Let's think about this holistically and from everybody's perspective, because it's not all about our, our Excel sheet. You know, think about their family and what this means to them. So I, I think that's a very important note to take. Yeah, let, let me say, I know I know you're the host on your podcast, but I really do want us to stay on that. Um, because we hear so much now about generational wealth, generational wealth, generational wealth, right? And that's for friends who are in the first generation. Now for friends who are in the fifth generation. Right. Um, in the early generations, you're not showing wealth, you're building it. So building wealth is really quiet. And it may not be all like all, all attractive of sorts. Right. You may not be downtown class A, the top floor. You might be, you know, in a suburban office that you're setting up for your kids or your grandkids to then take over a family business 30, 40 years from now. Right. And that's not always like super high end, but it's what's needed to 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 establish a foundation. And you're absolutely right. In this business, we're helping generations build wealth, um, either 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 build it or, or maintain it, which a lot of times is twice as hard as well. So, yeah, do not take that lightly. And I, yeah, that's that, that that is huge beyond measure. I mean, that's something I could talk about for for, for ages. You've had a lot of different experiences through, yeah. again, we all these different things. Walk me through some of, and it doesn't have to be any like the hardest, but what were some of the biggest challenges that you faced in your career? And I want to know like how you learned from them, how you dealt with them. Is there anything that stands out or jumps out in your mind? Yeah, I mean that might be more of a question for my wife than me, but <laughs> oh, wow, all right, <laughs> yeah, yeah, God, God bless her. Like, no, like that is it is it it, it is huge. I would say. Um, Man, that's crazy. I would say sticking to what you train to when times get tough. Mm. Um, I can I can give so many instances, but at the end of the time, at the end of the day, um, if you have taken your personal time, you sacrifice time to know a skill. If you sacrifice time to to master something and then be disciplined of it within yourself. When things fall apart or when things do not seem as if they're going the right way or the world may be against you or so on and so forth, lean back on that. Um, and like, 
the, the toughest part in my career for me is when you have somebody who has a separate agenda, whether it be a coworker or a client or competition, to make themselves look good and may you know, cause doubt for you um, or what have you because they're opportunists. So you just happen to be the person at the time. To not take it personal, to remind yourself who you're, who you're serving, the impact that you have across the entire board and or across the, the entire spectrum of the economy and keep things in, into perspective when things get tough, right? To keep things into perspective and, and rely again on what you have spent time for. Um, uh, so the, the opposite of that is people who want to rush to success and then and then when tough times hit, you have nothing back you have nothing to lean back on. You haven't built a foundation. Right? So people want to hurry up and get to the penthouse, but your foundation is lopsided. So, you know, if you're in any type of any type of heavy winds or anything, you'll topple over. Um, so that's where building your foundation of your career really comes in. So when things go up and down, depending on when you when and where you are, um, you have something to lean back on. Um, so I, I hope I've answered the question. Um, well, I'm, I'm sure you did. I'm sure there's a bunch, yeah. bunch of stories behind it. And I'm the, I'll oh, let yeah. you know. <laughs> I have to dig too yeah. deep for those. But but yeah, um, yeah I, I think one of those things, but being aware of what those important foundational aspects of, one, of one's life is, is important, right? Because like, I mean, I can speak for myself, like in my career, I you know, there's been ups and downs and I feel like I've, I've, I've done well in certain areas and in other areas I've fallen short, but I feel like I've always learned. I try to add value everywhere that I've gone and everything that I've done. Um, and you know, I, and I feel like there's something, there's a, there's a grace to that. I mean, there's a, there's a, a comfort level of being like, okay, I had the best intentions in each, in each step. And even if it didn't work out the way I anticipated, you know, I still feel good about, you know, what I, I had a conversation the other day with, uh, with a friend and actually previously as I was talking about this with my wife, but the difference between letting go and, and forgiving. Right. And mm. it, it was like, what, what, what's the difference there? And one of the things that, that came up was that true forgiveness is when you can look at an experience with gratitude and, and be happy with it. Like letting go is just letting go. And, you know, sometimes like some regret or some animosity can creep back in, but like forgiveness be like, Oh, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm good with that. You know, I forgive that situation, that person, that whatever. And then you can truly move forward. And I feel like a lot of times in my career, like I, I've looked back with a bitterness in some ways. And it wasn't until I started having success as in my community and my family and being the, the whole, we talk about a foundation, like with my family and my community, um, volunteer work, all those things is that I really feel like I can not just let go, but forgive, you know, and, and that's, that's my foundation on, you know, my past. Oh, yeah, no, no, no. I listen, I believe wholeheartedly and I've had to live it. Right, that forgiveness is for you and not the other person. I think if we're gonna like talk about this in business, and a lot of people are probably like, "Well, you're just talking about real estate and sales. How do we get into forgiveness and all the soft stuff?" Like, 
that that has held a lot of people back that I know. Them, them not being able to forgive because they think forgiveness is letting the other person off the hook. Forgiveness is not necessarily letting the other person off the hook or letting the other company or client or whoever off the hook. Forgiveness is freeing you up so you can get to what your what what your purpose is. Um, I've, I've been having a conversation a lot about um, capacity, about mm-hmm. about personal capacity. A lot of people are led to believe that we have infinite capacity. We do not. Sorry to say uh, to the people that are listening or watching this, everybody has finite capacity. And the more you're holding on to something that's not your purpose, the more you're taking capacity away from then reaching your purpose. Right. And so that 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 is that and that could be a very tough and bitter pill to swallow. Right. But that that is a part of that EQ I talked about earlier and your self-awareness that I talked about earlier. And I've even heard people say, well, that's what fuels them to do better is this thing that they're holding on to from the past. And that's just not sustainable. It'll eat you up inside. That's just it just isn't. It just yeah, isn't. You know what? I, I agree with that 100 percent. And one of the things that it's like, yes, it's a it's a fuel. But it's a finite fuel. And if you have a chip on your shoulder and that that like, great, like use it. But it runs out like hey, it ain't going to be there forever. And uh, it'll burn you up, too. So I 100 percent agree with that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So- so when what's a common question or something that you're um the, the people that you're mentoring come to you with? Is there is there a specific um common theme that people are asking of you? Yeah, a lot of it is a lot of it is how to get in the business. Um and then a lot of it, what I've read between the lines is not necessarily how to get in the business, but how to negotiate. Right, like how to negotiate fees, how to negotiate against the other person. So I will say, and you know this, all B2B sales, especially commercial real estate, is relationship-based. So people who are looking to get into the business, especially looking to get into CBRE, definitely, you know, reach out to me. I could tie you into our talent acquisition partners as well. And not but, but and um, applying online is only part of it. Whatever you want to do, you need to get to know the decision maker of that business. So if you want to enter in, into commercial real estate in Los Angeles, right? It's one thing to apply for a brokerage role or a transaction management role in Los Angeles. It's another thing to then get introduced to a managing director who's able to then tell you what teams have available have available uh, space in in their on their respective teams, whether it's industrial, office, retail, multifamily, land, nonprofit, healthcare, what have you. Right. So I would say being able to have that. Another thing that I've having to coach a lot of people, especially from our culture, is not to have that this is sales. Don't have somewhat of what I call a benevolent approach. To, to, to entering. What I mean by that, right? I'll talk to somebody and a lot of times we're kind of coached. I joke, it sometimes comes out of the church. Like, I just want to be somewhere where it's a value where I can learn, right? I just want to be a value to where I can learn. And I say, stop, time out. That's not the way to approach an opportunity. 
right? Because the hiring manager here is like, oh, I'm just looking for you to pay me so I can learn on your dime. That's not what anyone's looking to do, right? It is hiring me and this seat will gain you market share. I know my market. I know the downtown LA retail market of XYZ, right? I know the I know the Texas industrial market, the industrial market of Houston of XYZ. Help hiring me will help you give you 10% more market share. I know the Chicago, you know, office market of so on and so forth. So being able to be as defined as possible towards your goal and being able to communicate that in one or two sentences is it. And I get it. A lot of people are scared of it because they don't want to talk themselves out of an opportunity, right? Like, I think a lot of people's fear is, oh, well, if you had said you want an office, I would have offered you this position. But since you said retail, I'm not going to offer you this position, right? To where I would tell you, you can't make a bad fit good. Right. I mean, you, you, you can't make the whole ad is fitting a square peg into a round hole. Even if you do fit the square peg in a round hole, it won't be comfortable. It's not comfortable for either. Yeah. Right. So being able to be as defined and just starting from your general interest and speak about that, showing that you've done some research and being confident in your ability, not arrogant, but being confident in your ability that is the best way to get into any sales position, let alone commercial real estate. Uh, that's usually it. And then the other part I would say as far as uh, recommending people in negotiating fees and sales, there's a great book called Getting to Yes. And the pretense of great the book, book. Yeah. is as opposed to, you know, Dustin, if you and I are negotiating back and forth, as opposed to making you the enemy, right? Like I'm going to, I'm going to like wrestle Dustin to where he's giving up his total position and I win and I get the best and everything. It is you and I become teammates and figuring out how to get a deal done as opposed to going after you to just try to defeat you. Right. I see so many people uh, take that approach and, and end up blowing the whole thing up when everybody's there to be successful. So we both know we both want to be successful Let's figure out how to how to objectively be successful. Yeah, I think it's a great point. And when you start looking at things instead of being head on or face to face, look at things more side to side, right? Like yeah. It's good to look at things from from different vantage points for sure. But when you're looking and like, how is this a win win, right? Like, how do you how do you how do you align your goals? And usually, that's that's the best way. And I think that's a that's, that's a great, a great point. analogy. Instead of what, on one of the side things that you um, I'm steal that. you mentioned me before, know. and you're it's talking about like being so, confident and uh, going I'm in. stealing that analogy. What's that? I said I said that is a great analogy. I'm going to steal that analogy instead of head on side to side. Oh I'm yeah, you know I'm, I'm going to take it from you. Oh no, it's it's all good. It's it, the truth is universal, so no one owns that. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, well, one of the things that that you mentioned before, talking about like going into the the, the confidence piece, but something that you mentioned previously in our conversations about limiting beliefs. Could you talk about that and from your perspective, um, whatever the personal, professional, what you're seeing in, in your day-to-day, like tell me more, expand on what your thoughts about limiting beliefs. Yeah, there are a lot of people and, and part of my role is diversifying with quality talent, uh, diversifying our producer population, right? Um, in that, there are a lot of people who I, who have been told about the commercial real estate industry, oh, they're all against you. Nobody wants you to win. 
they give all the best deal to their friends and family. You're going to be there or you're going to be off to the side. There are going to be people who, who are going to make sure that you're going to look bad at every turn. And a lot of times I've had people who have been in great situations absorb those limiting beliefs and operate from those and have allowed referrals or when they should have reached out to somebody or brought somebody else in to then not go after a deal or not go after an opportunity or torment themselves because what they want is right there. But in their mind, they, they believe there's there's some force working against them, right? Uh, and, and that to me is one of the most disheartening things to see somebody from from any background go into a thing with an antagonistic nature and then have an opportunity right there at their feet, but they believe those limiting beliefs in their in their minds, as opposed to you're here, everybody wants you to win. Yes, are there underhanded people in, in, in the industry? Absolutely. Are there people who are going to try to take advantage of you because you're ignorant, which ignorance is not a bad word, but you're ignorant to your own worth? Yes, that's why I'm here, so we could talk about applying value to the different aspects of a commercial real estate transaction so we can have an objective tangible conversation about how to negotiate not from a head-on standpoint and not from an emotional subjective standpoint but from a side-by-side -side objective standpoint right and being able to frame those conversations objectively and that's a lot of what i do on a day-to-day -day basis and and it's 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 often people outside the company is often people outside the industry coming in and they've had they've been told the industry is all this and they're not going to want you in here so they go towards a safe path or they get in but now they're antagonistic about the environment they're in which is hurting more of them than the people who are already established in the industry right uh and, and and to me that has been kind of the most disheartening disappointing piece of it and and something that i appreciate what you all are doing at BCREN, what you're doing independently, what we're all doing is saying, look, there are objective ways to handle these situations. And yes, is there competition? Yes. Is there is there overall nepotism in this industry? Yes. Right? Like, let's talk about that. It's not every situation. And even when, if you're bringing value, know your value and bring your value. Get, get, get your pipeline up. Get your contacts up. Get your networking up. You know, strategically, intentionally, and get those conversations going. I feel like that one of those things and being able to identify, sometimes it's just asking the question or, or being open and having people around you that you can. And I think, and I, and I appreciate your kind words about BCREN because that's really a big part of what we've been doing is just being there for people to say like, hey, how do I handle this situation? Or just giving the, opening the channels for people to be able to, to communicate. And there may be something that, that is simple it's difficult maybe but it's something small that you can tell somebody like oh yeah well maybe try it like this or that because we all have experience that everyone knows something that you don't know and unless you actually voice what your challenges are or what you're dealing with you're probably not going to come up with a solution easily yourself i mean it happens but it's so much better and more efficient to be around people that you like and trust and you value their opinion so that's a big part of what we're what we're doing Yes, and what we're doing is solving complex issues, right? That takes a lot of technical expertise 
to 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 achieve. And so there's no need to try to reinvent the wheel. Trying to reinvent the wheel at this level takes a full generation, right? So there's no need to try to reinvent the wheel. Um, you don't make any more money from reinventing the wheel. You don't, like, the, the, your investment doesn't last longer for trying to reinvent the wheel. It's not more sustainable throughout the generations. Leverage things that are in place. Leverage networks and people and expertise and things that are in place, right? You 20% or 25% or 30% of something is a lot more than 100% of nothing. And, and and in that, learn how to partner, learn how to be vulnerable. And you really get that from, from getting your reps, from, from getting your, your your skill, from from practicing that. So uh, going going back to your Kobe Bryant reference uh, and, 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 and what he was doing. So, so, so <laughs> that is huge. That's funny you remember that story. Well, there wasn't just one Kobe Bryant. So, so in, in Philly growing up, um, got to see some really talented players and play against. And uh, what Murphy was, was referring to, you were referring to is the uh, first time I saw Kobe at LaSalle University basketball camp and just blew my mind that this kid was, you know, 14 years old and was shooting left-handed jump shots and stepping back, that three-point line, shooting with his right hand. Um, I'm pretty sure, and I never got the full backstory to this, is that the only reason his dad even let him play in that camp was if he played the camp with his left hand. I don't know of that for sure, but that's what it seemed like because he was he was doing a lot of drills with his left hand focused there during that camp. It's amazing. Uh, that's crazy at that level. Right at fourteen, I was I was just trying to just just basically get my coordination and dunk. Right, so so someone practicing shooting jumpers with the left hand and all that at, at that age. That's again very intentional, and that's a lot of time sacrifices. Yeah, you know what? On that note, there, there's another thing because you talk about growing quickly. So I don't know if you remember John Sammons. He's a uh, he played in the NBA for like 15, uh, probably more, more than 10 years for sure. Um, very good player. Yeah, he went to University of Miami. So he he and I played in the same backcourt for like our summer league and AU team from seventh grade till senior year, and we were we were the backcourt in you know seventh grade, and then every year he like grew like another three inches. And so we were always looking eye to eye. And then like one summer, I'm like looking at his shoulder. I'm like, what the, what the heck? What just happened? And so he ended up being like, what, six, seven, six, eight. And I stayed around six foot. But he put in the work. Like you, it was it was so obvious over the years. And, you know, we, we had good players. We had a lot of talent around us. But um, there was a focus that he had. And as he was growing, he, you know, he was a, he was a guard. So he always could handle, he could shoot. Um, and he kept working on it. So he's as he's growing, he kept the guard skills. It was, it was, man, growing up in Philly and playing hoops and playing sports, it was a, it was a special time. We had a lot of talent at that, that time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Growing up in California, you knew the guys from like the Midwest and East Coast. All we were told is that, you know, they play ball in the ice and snow, so they're going to be naturally tougher. Right. So, so we had, <laughs> we had to get our weight up, you know, so that's funny. Well, the, the Bay Area had some has some amazing players come out of that area too. So nothing to Absolutely. turn your nose up about. Um, so I want to I want to respect your time and make sure. But there's a couple things I want to make sure because it's called tools, talents, and techniques. I want to give you an opportunity. Are there anything in your day to day life like uh, different tools that you use? Um, I mean, you talked about some of the talents, you know, in the math and the finance, some of the techniques you learned from your sales experience. Are there any specific tools that you use um, in your day-to-day personal or professional life that give you an edge? 
Yeah, two things. Um, and one that I really count, coach a lot of the brokers in my cohort one. Number one is a business plan. And I know to a lot of people it might be boring or a lot of people don't know where to get the information for their business plan or if they're even on the right path. So uh, if you are looking to get in any role, a production role or sales role, what have you, you definitely need a business plan. And the reason why I tell you that is not only that, well, to be honest with you, 90% of it won't go correct, but it will give you a path in a direction. Also, what a business plan does is it lets you know what's not for you. And frankly, there's no nicer way to put it, but what, what, what pursuits are not worth your time, right? So if you need to close, first time I heard about this was when I first got my real estate license in Arizona. I remember calling a broker and I had a referral for a $200,000 acquisition. And a broker was like, oh, I'm sorry, I don't work on anything less than $350,000. And that blew my mind. You know, I was a young, I'm 25 years old. Like, who will turn down, who will turn down a $200,000 house? I remember calling my, my mentor, uh, Donald Ray Ford Jr. in Fontana, California. I got to give him a shout out. My first real estate mentor, Donald Ray Ford Sr., forgive me, Jr., I went to undergraduate. And I was asked, have you ever heard of this? And he looked at me like, yeah, that's normal. It wasn't normal for me. But that broker had done their business plan and figured out the goal that they needed to get to. They they were going to do the same amount of work in every transaction. So they had identified a minimum transaction number. And anything less than that, in their mind, they were losing money. And so that's where a business plan comes in, because it not only gives you a, a theoretical path, but also lets you know what's not for you. Because if you're talented, you're going to engage people that have their own goals and own thing going on. So as soon as somebody recognizes your talent, they're going to want to pull you from your own path onto their path to help them get to where they're going quicker. That's happened to me plenty of times and I allowed it because I didn't have a written out plan. As soon as I had a written out plan, I said, no, that's good. Or, yeah, I know somebody that's doing this. Let me introduce you to that person. Oh, well, we really, really want you on this. I know you do it. I get that. But that's not my path. Right. And being able to say that while somebody might be like, that's stupid. That's a great opportunity. Yeah. That opportunity is not good for me. I'm not going to get in someone else's spot that that opportunity is good for them. This is what I've identified as my path. Right. So I would say that's what a business plan does. And then have a system. Have a system, even if it is using Excel and your Google Calendar or your Outlook Calendar for reminders and you're using Microsoft Word to copy and paste automatic responses on. And I know there's AI and there's all this other type of stuff now, but have a system to where you're not having to retype or rethink the same common situations over and over again, where you can be as efficient as possible. Now that you've identified your path, you can be as efficient as possible as getting down that path. Those are the two things that, that, that I would say would be it. And those are the things that I've seen work. Obviously, the more money you make, the more you can then invest in a CRM as opposed to you being your own CRM in Microsoft Excel or what have you. But I've used Excel as my own CRM, and then I've been fortunate enough to then tie into a CRM and then use that as it in, in sales. One of, the, one of the things that you've hit on a couple times here that I think is really important because you talk about having a plan, having a system, having a, to 
you know, things to fall back on to come. And that reminds me of a, of, of a quote, which man, I'm probably going to butcher this, but something like you don't rise to your best, but you, you will, you will fall to your training and to what you have and you will, you will fall back. So that's why it's so important to, to have those systems in place, to have that plan because inevitably things will go awry. But as long as you have that path that you can always come back to and fall back to your level of training, then, then you can stay, stay on the path to, to success. That's, that's so important. Hey Murph, is there, yeah, is there, yeah, no, is there anything that you want to make sure that you leave our audience with anything that, that you want to say, um, how to find you things that you're working on? Why should people contact you and what situations? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I love speaking with and coaching people in B2B sales. Uh, I'm going to be releasing my own podcast here soon. Uh, uh, focused on that. I love speaking with people on increasing production and efficiency. If you can't tell, uh, going back to what you said a second ago, just give like do bear with me for a minute. So I'm a I'm a huge 49ers fan, and in the NFC Championship, you know the Detroit Lions were up on the 49ers like 24 to seven, and everybody was worried and. And I have in my phone, I took a screenshot of it. I was texting some of my friends that were sending me pictures of like Slim Shady and everybody else kind of kind of uh, doing that. I text them at halftime, don't worry, 49ers will win and, and the Lions are going to crumble. Sorry to all the Lions fans out there. And it came true and some of my friends were calling me Nostradamus. And it goes right back to, I wasn't concerned about it. Like, have we, have we seen it more in college sports, collegiate sports than anything? Where an underdog or somebody where it wasn't supposed to be competitive, and the team is a, is that's not supposed to be competitive that's supposed to get slaughtered like is is ahead, and that in the last few minutes of the game the other team comes back and wins, because you default not only to your level of preparation but you default to the idea of yourself, and in my opinion the Lions' idea of themselves is more competitors and champions, and so when they were set up to be champions it wasn't familiar to them and they defaulted to going back to competitors the champions 49ers idea of themselves as champions so they didn't panic at halftime and they i was expecting like the the them to come back and win the last play of the game but by the end of the third quarter it was a tie ball game already just because your idea of yourself not only do you default to your level of preparation, you default to, to the idea of yourself, which is why I enjoy so much talking to people about their own limiting beliefs, because you will default to your limiting belief. So the psychology of that is that you need to first believe in yourself as successful, technically and tangibly successful, beyond you know your, your storyboard or your vision board. Like really invest and the things that will technically make you successful over time, and you'll be successful over time. No, that's that's what I want to leave everybody with. Thank you so that's much. That's great. And so one more thing. You mentioned, like, you're coming out. Is this what your your new podcast is going to be about? About the – is it through CBRE? Is this your own venture? It's my own venture. I, I, I lead a podcast with CBRE. It's a webinar with CBRE called Leveling Up in Commercial Real Estate. It is specifically talking about lessons learned, at, you know, being the top 
commercial real estate firm and globally lessons learned that way for commercial real estate professionals. Uh, my podcast is going to be called The Sponsor because in, in my role and in prior roles, I've been able to be the sponsor of a lot of people and conversations behind closed doors. And just to be honest with everybody, everybody's having conversations about everybody behind closed doors. Who you are consistently will be, will speak for you. Even if you have people speaking against you, if you're able to back up who you are consistently, that will speak for you. So I've been able to be a sponsor of sorts. And I was, I was called that by a few of my brokers. I wasn't even aware of that. But being able to provide insight on how decisions are made and what's really important versus what everybody says is important and what to do and being able to kind of cut through the noise and advise people on how to progress in their year in, in, in their careers as as B2B sales professionals and commercial real estate professionals. That's really um, a lot of lessons learned that, listen, I think it wouldn't be right for people to, to spend the time and effort into building their craft and people not give them a heads up and not have to go through things themselves, right? I think that that is what's ridiculously important at this time. Yeah. Well, I'm going to include in the show notes links to your profile, some more information that you're doing. And if, if uh, depending on when your podcast come out, I'll put a link to that as well so people know where to find you. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, uh, I'm filming and editing now. So uh, it'll be up soon. So I'll send you the link here pretty quick. Thank you. All right. I appreciate it. Yeah, Thank of course. You for the work you do too. I know it's not easy. It might seem like it, but it's not easy. Yeah, there's there's a lot, but you know what? I feel like this goes back to what we're saying about knowing your path and what you're doing and what you're getting. I'm really enjoying doing everything that I'm doing with whether it's this, you know, the podcast, uh, BCREN with ranges. What I'm doing, like it's all fun things. Coaching kids in sports and everything we're doing in the community. It's all fun stuff. I was actually, I, I, I promise, I'll let you, I'll let you go. Very but, good. But uh. I was watching this thing, uh, the show on Netflix, and one of the things they were talking about, the Wright brothers, and, uh, you know, the guys who invented flying, basically, um, the airplane. And they asked them their question, like, what like, what were you, they, uh, you know, how did you come up with this? How were you doing this? And they were like, we were having fun. We enjoyed it. Like, they didn't necessarily set out to like, change, you know, personal aviation. I mean, I'm sure there was some of that. But right. why they were successful? Because they were enjoying it. And when you can enjoy something, it's so much easier to be consistent because you're going to keep going back and doing it and working on it. And so that's how I feel about most of the things I'm doing in my my life and my career. And I'm going to stick with it. Now you're going to be successful. That's naturally. You're going to be successful, right? Yeah. And, and keep your own definition of success and not, don't let anybody else attach their definition of success to you. You're going to be yeah. naturally successful. Yeah. Appreciate it, Murphy. Yeah, man. All right. Talk to you soon. You will. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Tools, Talents, and Techniques. We hope that you enjoyed the conversation. And if you did find value in the episode, please consider subscribing to the podcast on your favorite platform, leaving a review, and sharing with your network. We have an amazing lineup in the coming weeks and months with some very impressive leaders and some of the heaviest hitters in business who are making a positive impact in the world. So stay tuned for more exciting episodes and special features coming up. We appreciate your ongoing support and look forward to welcoming you back next time on Tools, Talents, and Techniques.